So we're in 1 John again um, this morning, uh, chapter 2, verse 3 to 11. Um, our series, Back to the Basics, for, uh, for four Sundays. A couple weeks ago, we looked at where seeing is joy, the joy that we have because we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and as a result, we have true fellowship with one another. And the overwhelming joy of the believer who knows and holds that truth that as we just got done singing, we are his and Christ is mine forevermore. And nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. And it's a glorious truth. Last week, uh, the uh, walking in the light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And John challenged us last week with some pretty tough terms uh, as he confronts us with our makeup, with what we are uh, in ourselves. And thankfully, as he, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, the, uh, the idea that we can lie to each other, we lie to ourselves, and then we find ourselves lying about God. But thankfully, John didn't leave us there. He says, but little children, and I love it, as, as he loves us, he loves his people, God's people, and he doesn't leave us there. But I write these things so that you may not sin. You don't have to live that way. And he offers us the hope of our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation. He paid the penalty for our sins, and so he has the right to intercede for us, and he does. And so we have hope, and then as we talked about, we grow in, our, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, become more and more like him, and it's a glorious truth. And today... Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about living like you believe it so that we reflect the glory of Christ to our world and to one another. It's a part of the fellowship that we have. And so uh, when we think about this um, broadly, there's a, a massive move that's happened and is happening. And uh, for the church, it's historic um, it's coming to us in issues related to personal freedom in, like never before in all of history where uh, autonom autonomous men and women are truly a law unto themselves and uh, in a way that has never been. And so we've moved to a point where the individual gets to define even who they are, not just who they are, but what they are, what is true. It's a, it's a true self-law. Autonomous is the word that you'll hear used. We want to be autonomous beings, auto, self, nomos, law, self-law. We want to be a law unto ourself. And, uh, and it's rampant in our society, and the, uh, the, the self-definition, especially in the area of sexuality, we mentioned that last week, but it's just, it's the crystal clear picture of the autonomy of men and women that we get to decide even to the point where if, you, uh, if you're a man who feels like you're a woman, we have the technology to help you with that. Or if you're a woman who feels like a man, we have the technology where it used to be you conform your mind to reality. Now we take technology to conform reality to your mind. And so there's a massive shift that is happening, or if, uh, 
if your history as a person or as a some uh, subgroup or whatever it has been one of oppression, and there's a lot of truth to that, but what we can do with our technology is we can rewrite history, and we can change history to, so that we can validate your feeling. When, and if you don't agree with all of this, then we can just cancel you as a bigot and a hater, and we have the technology to do that too. This autonomy regarding truth... It can be seen in how quickly or easily many people and even churches understand, uh, change their understanding of what is true based on how they feel. You'll hear things like, well, I'm hearing this and that's just a dangerous setting. It's harmful because I don't like what I'm hearing. No personal body harm has been done, but because I don't like what you're saying, it's now hurtful and harmful and so you can't say it. And so we have to change what we say, the truth in question, will it offend someone? Then we have to change it to conform to modern acceptance. Does the idea in question tend to separate or categorize people or positions that it has to be moderated, toned down, or not discussed? One of the marks of our day is the inability to have serious discussion or debate in the free exchange of ideas. It's, it's being lost because of our self-definition. It's interesting, uh, John Stone Street, he's an apologist with the Colson Center uh, for Christian Worldview. He said, uh, ideas have consequences. We've heard that before. But he said, bad ideas have victims. And we see victims piling up all around us. They're piling up, and the effects on the church have been profound because we're impacted by this too. Uh, even older adults were, were impacted by this thinking, and it's all around us. It's the warp and woof. It's the fabric of your news feed. Uh, I don't care if you're listening to Fox or if you're NBC, whatever your thing is, it's woven in. And it's a self-driven truth. It's interesting, though, this walking in the darkness that we're talking about here. That's really what it is. Men and women are lost in the dark. Way back in the fourth century, early church father, John Chrysostom, Maybe you've heard this before. He described his culture in that day. That's four centuries after Christ. He said, like men with sore eyes, they find the light painful, while the darkness, which permits them to see nothing, they find restful and agreeable. In other words, people want to be in the dark. And this whole self-definition that uh, we're seeing going on all around us is the leading symptom of people that are utterly lost and this uh, painfulness of the light because mention the name of Jesus Christ sometime at your school, local school board meeting and see, how, see what kind of response you get out of that. People love the darkness and hate the light, particularly our Lord. And so what do we do? Well, John gives us uh, instructions uh, instructions to people in his day, and so by extension, he's talking to us. And so where we're going to start here then is uh, I'm going to read from chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 3 through 11, and then we're going to look at this a little bit and see what we can glean from what the Apostle John has for us here. So let me read, starting First uh, John, chapter 2, verse. Um, let me start at verse 1, just to tie into the context from last week. Chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, love that. <laughs> I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, beloved. I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's, that's symptomatic of our day, that, that uh, picture that John gives of the light and the dark. And people by nature love the dark. Well, John, remember, uh, part, of our, part of our context uh, John is writing to push back, to refute the Gnostics, the early Gnostics who are bringing error into the church. So that's, a, uh, that's part of what we need to consider when we, when we read this, when he is pushing back against, like there in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments. Remember, one of the things I mentioned was with these Gnostics, that uh, there's this feeling that I live at this such a high level with the Lord that what I do in the body doesn't even matter anymore. In other words, very low ethical standards, immorality and all kinds of stuff, but it's okay because I'm close to God. John says, you're a liar. See, he's pushing back. And so here in verse 3 then, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We can know that we know him. That's our first point, knowing that we know him. Now, there's an interesting science of epistemology. There's a $10 word for you. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it because it's very detailed. Um, But it's a philosophic uh, discipline where uh, trying to determine first principles. How do I know for sure? How I know that I know? How do I know that this is real and it's solid? Remember, there are those uh, like the Hindus and others where reality is an illusion. So that there's not even reality in that sense. How do I know what is real? That's what epistemology studies. And uh, some of the first principles, though, to build our tower of knowledge. Remember last week I mentioned uh, the, uh, the, the kind of the broadly speaking, the secular understanding of beginnings. It's what's been taught in our school since I was a kid. It's, it's evolution. In the beginning were the particles and the impersonal laws of physics. And the particles somehow became living stuff, then imagined God, but then discovered evolution. That's your secular view. It's all an accident. Well, you start on that foundation, you build a tower of errors. We talked about that briefly last week. Starting on the right foundation is in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, reminding us that the foundation of our 
truth of our life is that in the beginning was God, and God was the creator, in this case the word, capital W, Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, Jesus was with God, Jesus was God. Later John says, and by him all things were made. There's the creation, there's purpose. John says, by this we know that we have come to know him in a world defined by the reality of the word, capital W. John gives us the criteria for knowing him. Keep his commandments. Whoever says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, that's a prime indicator that we actually know him. If I have no desire, I want, yeah, I know Jesus, I just don't want to do what he says. I don't even know him. If you love me, we mentioned this, uh, John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's Jesus. To love Jesus, we have to know Jesus. I can't love someone I don't know. And I've lived with my wife now for almost 48 years, and I'm still getting to know her and love her more now than ever. I'm saying the growth in the knowledge is an increase in our love. To know Jesus is to love him. Jesus says, if you love me, though, you'll keep my commandments. So what are his commandments? That's a legitimate question. You will keep my commandments. You remember uh, the teachers of the law, they come to Jesus, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus was ready for him. <laughs> he always is. <laughs> and uh, Jesus says in Mark 12, 29 to 31, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love God, love your neighbor. Interesting in Matthew's account on that, he also says, on these two depend the whole law. In other words, look at the, ten tab the, ten, uh, the table of the law, the Ten Commandments. All of them hang on those two. So in essentially what Jesus is saying, all of my law applies and all of them hang on the fact of who God is and of who your brothers and sisters are. Love for God, love for brothers and sisters. I can't love God and, then, and love my brothers and sisters and then not do what he says. That's the thing. It's uh, right here in uh, 1 John, if we flip the page, for me it's over a page, uh, 3.23. Uh, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. There's Jesus' double love command. Love his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus is God, love God, and love one another. There's the double love command. Whoever keeps his commandments, verse 24, abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Jesus says, here's my commands, keep my commands, but I'm also giving you the spirit. Remember with his men in the upper room. I'm leaving, guys, but don't worry. I have to get out of the way because then the spirit will come. They didn't fully understand that till Pentecost. <laughs> Then the Spirit came. Now they had a, a, an explosion of understanding of who Jesus is, and they had the immediate presence 
of the Spirit. And Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so we have the affirmation of keeping God's commandments, our desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, and then we have the Holy Spirit resident within, working on us, prompting us, teaching us, uh, challenging us, that guilt that we feel, or the joy that we feel, or the, I don't know how I even remembered that passage, well, the Holy Spirit. He's working in us, and he's doing that to bear witness with our spirit that we're children of God. We can have assurance. We can know that we know him. That's the point. We don't have to go through life like I remember Pope John Paul. It's been a long time ago, but he was one of the great popes of the last century. And I remember reading in an article where he said, I hope when I die I go to heaven. You don't have to sit around and just hope when you die you go to heaven. You can know that you know him. And if you are His, you will spend eternity with Him. We have His Word on it. And so we can have assurance. We can know that we know Him. And I love the fact that this section, John leads off with that truth, that we can know that we know Him. He's not writing this challenging letter where he says, if you say this, you're a liar. He's not to berate and beat people down. That's not what he's doing. He's trying to help us to understand we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live in sin. And we can know that we are his. And so he's, he's providing uh, pastoral, if you will, apostolic, really, assurance. Well, he challenges us to match our practice to our profession. From verse 4 to verse 8, we're going to look at that. Matching our practice to our profession. There's three times in the next six verses where John begins with the word, whoever says. So in verse 4, whoever says, I know him. I will just review him real quickly. Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him. And then down there in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light. And from that, we can discern that that's just some of what the Gnostics were, were, were teaching or saying to these people. And John's, so John says, whoever says, I know him. The Gnostics, we know, yeah, I, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments as a liar. We cannot claim to know Christ and then live like he doesn't exist. John views the fruit of repentance to be in the conduct of the believer. No fruit, no life. Keeping the Lord's commandments is not a condition for knowing him. We want to be clear on that because as we talk about this, it's keeping the law does not save me. By grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That's huge. So my conduct does not save me, but there in Ephesians 2, 10, then after telling us salvation's by grace, he says we are his workmanship. Why? created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. So then apparently good works does have something to do with my walk with Christ. See, it wasn't a condition to be saved, but it is the fruit that I am saved. And now we're all at a different places. There's massive grace in this. 
So a person comes to faith in Christ out of a rough lifestyle, and, and I've, all I've learned all my life is sin and decadence, and now I'm one of Christ. And he does a marvelous change, but the fact is this individual struggles now uh, overcoming sin. There's grace, tremendous grace for that. So it's not a, if you don't do this, you're not saved. That's not the point. But the point is, if we love Christ, we want to be like him. We want to honor him. And worship Him with our life. And so the bent of my life should be in the direction of good works, of doing those things that honor Him and bring glory to the name of Christ. And we get to do that. John says there in verse 4, profession without practice equals liar. That's stark language, maybe even harsh. If you don't keep the commands of Jesus, you're a liar. But you remember Jesus, and we, we talked to touch on this last week, but in his altercation, one of his interactions with the uh, Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. He is, the, he is a liar and the father of lies. And we know from the beginning that's been our struggle because we live under the lie. And Paul, here's Paul talking uh, in regard to uh, lost people. Uh, they profess to know God, but they deny them by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good works, Titus 1.16. It's hard stuff. So, now that, so then it must be that what I do matters. What I do matters, my attitude. It's not just the work. Okay, I guess I'll be nice. Well, no, it's, it's I love Jesus. I want to glorify him with my life. I get to serve him. He didn't just destroy me because of my sin. He let me live another day and to bring glory to his name. And somehow this fallen creature can be renewed and bring glory to God. And it's my joy to serve him now, to love people, to be inconvenienced, uh, to take a hit because uh, of, of some offense perceived or whatever, and to, and to say, but it's all for you, Lord, and I serve him. So it's an attitude, profession with practice. Look at this in verse uh, 5. But whoever keeps his word, the word, of, the word of Jesus, the commandments of Jesus, Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, it's interesting. It's another textual thing here. So in verse 5, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. There's a translation issue right here. The love of God is perfected. Is he talking about there in this translation? I'm using ESV today. So the lo- uh, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. Is he talking about God's love for me or my love for God? We've got to think carefully here. Probably this translation, as far as literalness to the original, is probably uh, one of the most literal uh, in, from a translation standpoint, but I think the NIV hits it right in how they translate this verse. NIV says, uh, in him truly the love for God is perfected or completed. In other words, he's talking about the, whoever keeps his word, in him truly his love for God is perfected or completed. See, it's, it's, it's the living out of the gospel in my life and the difference that it's made, not because I have to, but because I get to, and I've been renewed in such a way that it just flows out. And what I do say, respond, attitudes, all of it, 
projects Christ because I've been renewed and I'm living it. And so out of love for God, uh, uh, we're truly being perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk as he walked. How did Jesus walk? This growing love for God that becomes a clear indicator that we are, as he says, John says, in him. In chapter 5, verse 3 of First uh, John here, for this is the love of God, that's my translation, NIV, but for this is love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is love for God. Out of love for him, we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, it's not this big load. There you are. You're loaded down. Now carry this the rest of your life and be miserable. No. This is, I get to model what it is to know the God of the universe in a personal way. And someday I'm even going to see him and I'm going to touch him and embrace him as my Lord And we ought to walk in the same way which he walked, John says there in verse 6. Well, how did Jesus walk? Well, Paul there in Philippians chapter 2 mentions that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So how did Jesus walk? Well, he's God, and he emptied himself. He did not become un-God. Jesus Christ has always been God, second person of the Trinity, man, fully God, fully man. He was no less God when he took on flesh. But the fact is, in his flesh, all of his prerogatives of God, he set them aside. In some ways, probably omniscience. It seems at times Jesus didn't know because the Father holds that in his hand, talking about the timing of his return. Things like that, that in his flesh, he set aside the prerogatives of God. And then he took on the form of a servant, Remember washing the disciples' feet, for one example. Remember the cross where he's butchered. And what's one of the last words we have from Jesus? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're killing God. The torture and all the rest. No animosity. No anger. How did Jesus walk? He committed no sin. This is Peter in chapter First uh, Peter two twenty two and twenty three. He committed no sin, totally sinless. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He looked to the Father. My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Nevertheless, he trusted him right to the end. And when it was time to die, he gave up his spirit and he died. That's how Jesus lived. When we look for a model, we look to Christ. Because he is the model. Uh, By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, I'm not 
second person of the Trinity like Jesus and all that. But in his flesh, he suffered what we suffer. And in fact, in temptation, where I would cave at probably one, he gets to ten, and he still hasn't caved another. His, trans, his, his temptation was beyond anything I've ever had. And he, he survived it. He, he, he made his way through that. He defeated it. That's how I'm to walk. So John goes on. He says, beloved, I, I, I love this, we're beloved. Remember, little children, he's talking to people. He just loves them. He says, beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard. He's talking about from the beginning of your acquaintance with the gospel, when the gospel first came to you, when you were first taught the commandment that you received then. I'm not writing you a new commandment. This is nothing new. And yet, (laughs) he goes on. At the same time, verse 8, It is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He's giving them a new commandment. Well, what is that? John 13, 34 to 35. John has total recall, remember, Jesus told the apostles, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will remember this stuff. And John goes back there in his, uh, in his uh, gospel in John 13, 34, a new commandment. This is Jesus. New commandment I give to you that you love one another. Well, but Jesus, we had that back in Leviticus 18. No, uh, this is how you love, just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's the newness? What's the new command? Love like Jesus. He's the example. Jesus said so. John's pointing us back when he says at the same time it is a new command. That's what he's referring to is the command that Jesus give. Love as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That total self-giving, sacrificial, doesn't matter who I am, I'm here to serve you kind of love. No big people. He was the ultimate big people. He was God. Uh He set it all aside to get in the dirt and serve people. That's who we emulate. This matching our practice to our profession. Again, it's not a have to. You read Paul in Romans 1, chapter 1. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. In that, we, we read that bondservant here and there through our New Testament. And in our translation, the translators have chosen to use that word servant there. Actually, uh, doulos is slave. Paul, a bondslave of Jesus Christ. In other words, what, is a, what options does a slave have? None. He's totally submissive to the will of his master because that's what Jesus did. He was a bond slave. Jesus was uh, totally submissive to his father. Well, this whole idea of matching our practice to our profession. Now, John is going to give us, now he's going to uh, compare or contrast dark to light. Because we said our world is just walking in the dark, walking and stumbling 
and falling and crashing and burning. And it's rambling in the dark, the, uh, verse uh, 9. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Yeah, I love Jesus. It's just his people I can't stand. <laughs> that doesn't work. Now, you know, all of us, you've all got people that you get along with, just great, you're just magnetic, you're drawn to so-and-so or whatever. But we all have people that challenge us when we cross paths. It's just the reality because we're so different, we're wired different, we have different preferences, on and on it all goes, maybe there are past hurts, all this. And yet, John says, if you, uh, if you say you're in the light and hate your brother, you're not in the light, you're still in the dark. That we need to love our brothers. In uh, chapter 4, verse 20, uh, here in 1 John, chapter 4, verse 20, if anyone says, here he is again, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, more of his harshness. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, our love for one another either proves or puts the lie to the fact that we actually love God. We can't say we love God and hate people. That's the point. And John is firm on this. He's, he's, he's using these hard words. He's calling us liars if we say otherwise. Wonderfully, verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And him and in him there is no cause for stumbling. There's light in the dark that's been shed into our lives if we know Jesus and if we're following him, the light of the knowledge of the gospel and the difference that it makes. And so then we emulate our master because that's what he did. And it's what he wants because ultimately that's what the father did. He gave his son. Then he cursed him for us. He's simply saying, can't you do that for one another and extend that kind of grace to each other and give that love? Peter again, 2 Peter 1, 5-7, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Peter gives us a list of virtues and when you look carefully at that list, you find out that that list is part of how we love one another. How do I love my brothers and sisters? Well, I live a virtuous life. And, and with that, I add knowledge, knowledge of uh, who Jesus is and what he requires and what his love does. And I add knowledge, and to my knowledge I add self-control so that I'm not an out-of-control person, but I rein in my passions for the good of my brothers and sisters to glorify Christ ultimately. And then steadfastness. I, I have convictions. I'm not all over the place and wishy-washy because, well, you know, this is a disputable matter and who can say that I actually have firm convictions and I live in light of them. And that builds up and encourages my brothers and sisters. And then uh, the idea of the outflow of that is godliness. And isn't it interesting that Peter there, godliness with brotherly affection. 
brotherly affection with love. The, the working out of the Spirit in our lives are, is going to be transformed lives that uh, everything we do uh, points us and those around us to the living God because we're, we're little Christ. Very interesting. You go back there, I, I think it's Acts 11. They were called Christians first at Antioch. Remember Barnabas? And uh, he's teaching, and Paul's a fairly new believer, and Barnabas needs help, and Barnabas is is, is a loving man, and he goes and he gets Paul and brings him there to Antioch to help with the teaching. And Paul, he's the consummate scholar. He go gets them, bring, and they're teaching and preaching. Very interesting. We pass over this quickly sometimes. They were called Christians first at Antioch, term of derision. They didn't call them Christians because they loved them. Yeah, just a bunch of little Christ. Mockery, that's what it was. But that word Christian, little Christ, yeah, that's what we want to be. Actually, it's a badge of honor. It's not a curse. It's not a, they made in our culture today, Christian, true Christian, ones who actually believe this book is true. You mean you believe that stuff? Yeah, we'll be mocked for it. Little fools. You ever want to know what a Christian is, because that's what's debated. If you are a, a part of the group, they call them side B Christians. They're celebrating the gay lifestyle and thing in churches. Very interesting. And But they're claiming the name of Christ. If you ever want to know what a Christian is, you go back to Antioch and say, now what do you think was taught there at Antioch? If you want to know what was taught at Antioch, read all of Paul's writings. You want to know what a Christian believes, you look at the New Testament and you see what what Paul wrote in particular because he was the one who was there at Antioch, but all of the New Testament, and you find out what a Christian is and what a Christian believes. And then that's what a true follower of Christ is and looks like. Uh, Peter in his passage there uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he goes on, Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Look, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Practice the virtues. Grow in virtue. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Grow in the application uh, of that in my day-to-day life so that verse 10, uh, whoever abides or whoever loves his brother abides in the light. The light of the knowledge of Christ. And there's no cause for stumbling because I can stand firm because I'm on the foundation. And the storms hit and the foundation doesn't move. But, again, blind to the dark. John goes back to it just to remind us whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's that quote from Dio Chrysostom, like men with sore eyes, they find the light painful while the darkness which permits them to see nothing, they find restful and agreeable, and you look all over, and the turmoil that's in our society, and there's people that are walking in the dark, and many of them don't even know it because they're blind. Proverbs 4.19 says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness, they don't know over what they stumble, have no idea, stumble and fall and have no idea. Living like you believe it. It's not, a, it's not a second giving or a third giving, I guess, of the law. It's not, a, it's not rules. 
but it's living in a way to bring the glory and honor of our life to Christ because then we can have fellowship with the Father, fellowship with His Son, and fellowship with one another. True fellowship. It's one of the things I've enjoyed when I, when I come here with different ones of you as we've talked and got to know each other a little bit. There's true fellowship that happens because we know Christ. And then we honor Him in how we engage and talk to each other and encourage or whatever. Well, here's, uh, here's three things that uh, we've learned today. And the first one is we can know that we know Him. We can know that we know Him. We can know with certainty that we are children of God. And we, we can have hearts and loves changed that we can have in such a way that we can have full assurance of faith. We can know that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8. And we can know that. And so then we can face life. We can face the disease, the cancer. We can face the, the accidents of life. We can face the uh, family divisions that happen. Uh, we can face the disputes that happen. And we can face it if they come and arrest us and kill us. Because we know Christ. We can know that we know him. Why do you think Peter could be crucified upside down and take it? Not because he's a big man. But he knew Christ. When they went to kill him, he said, not, 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 I'm not worthy to die like my master. You turned me upside down. We can know that we know him. Number two, our practice should line up with our profession. It shouldn't be viewed, as I've mentioned, as some new form of law keep. It's not what it is. When I grew up, we struggled with legalism and even in our churches and our constitutions, we would write things in there that these things here Christians don't do. Often it was dancing, drinking, other things. Because good Christians don't do that. Our practice should line up with our profession, but the fact is that it's less a list of laws than it is a condition of the heart and if my heart is right, I'm going to only want to do what honors Christ. And of course, there's going to be disputable matters with, where different believers will disagree about this or that uh, area of conduct or involvement. And good believers can disagree on those things, but because of the priority of our love for Christ, we love each other in that. We may challenge each other's thinking on occasion in certain areas, but we do it in love. Because it's not about the, the list of rules. It's about my heart. And that he owns my heart. But on the other hand, the ethics and moral code that God has given in his, in his word is a reflection of who he is. So we're to live in ways that please him. Our lives should be a reflection of him. As I said, we are his workmanship uh, created in Christ Jesus for good work. So we're his work. So we do it for him. Number three, the love of neighbor that John is talking about is a love that only God can give. Only God can give. Like I said, there are, there are some people we just automatically easily love. Uh, and then there are others. I don't know if you've had it, but I have had it. It seems like people in my life that their mission in life is to challenge my love. <laughs> you know, uh, the point is our love 
of neighbor, that is something that God puts in us. Certainly, we need to put ourselves in situations where we're compelled to grow in our love for others. I can take the easy way and just avoid people. I can sit on the opposite side of the room from somebody for 20 years because I don't even remember why, but there was an offense in the past, so I'll just stay away from that person. Or we can say, out of love for Christ, we're going to reconcile and we're going to be together because we love Him. Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our unifying principle. Living like you believe it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And and in that sense, we're not to judge one another. That is a spirit of judgmentalism. On the other hand, sometimes we have to make judgments. And then we come to a brother and sister and like, and I'm seeing this and, and I'm concerned. Love you. I don't understand how this honors the Lord. Help me to understand. Help, let me help you. In other words, we can lovingly confront one another uh, without having a judgmental spirit that, I don't know why you're so foolish as to be involved in that. I, I've got it knocked. Let me tell you how to live right. See where it's heart attitude again. It's all about who Jesus is. 